Welcome to Synapse's Brain Bank podcast, a place for people and families impacted by brain injury to share their stories and connect with specialists from the field. Join our host, Dr. Zara Whedon, as we hear from everyday Australians and tap into advice and resources to help you on your brain injury path. Hi, I'm Zara Whedon. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Mara Carroll, whose son Jordan experienced a brain injury as a teenager. Welcome, Mari. It's good to talk to you. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm well. And thank you for having me. So it's good to um, talk about sometimes the caring aspect and not about always the injury or the person that we're caring for. It's like when people say, oh, hi, how's, well, for me, it's Jordan. So people always say, oh, how's Jordan? But no one sometimes says, how are you? So, yeah, so today it's about us as carers. You're absolutely right, Mari. So let's talk about you. What's it like to have a son that's changed? That is a a great question because it is different and you do go through grief. So I had a so-called normal, well, healthy child um, who had dreams and aspirations. He was our uni boy. Even at 11, all he wanted to do was go to uni and school, school, school. So I suppose he was a bit different then, but he just loved school. So Jordan, with his brain injury, acquired his brain injury through a bleed. He had a stroke when he was 11, very out of the blue and very quick. Started with massive headache, started throwing up, took him to the hospital. And then as time went on, he had a stroke. So he wasn't supposed to survive. And then as he he went into a coma, he never came out of his coma. A lot of people go, oh, you know, people just wake up out of a coma. With Jordan, he never did that. It was more like he gradually, over time and days, woke up more and more and more. And so that's how he has his first acquired brain injury. And so when something like an acquired brain injury or traumatic brain injury, I mean, these things usually are quite quick. And the change, it's not like dementia where it can be a slow process. And so when you have a child who's so-called normal, and then you have a child who's, who, who's had an acquired brain injury, goes into coma, wakes up, and then is noticeably different. First, you go through all those emotions like, uh, you know, fear and then relief and happiness. And then, you know, you want to just help them get better. But it's when you go home from hospital and you see the changes, you know, you're sad because your child and all the dreams that your child had and what who and what you had for your child changes and so for us it was more about survival not just living and then with Jordan he changed he was there but he was different very different and it makes you sad because it's like those milestones those milestones for him of like driving a car or going to university, all those changed. And even just 
you know, getting a job now, he's gotten older. So there's a lot of grief. And I think with people, they don't understand the grief involved with the changes Mm. because a lot of people say, oh, you know, you should be happy that you still got him or you should just be this or you should just be that. And so people don't allow you to go through that transition yourself. So it's it's a big change. Having talked about Mari the carer, would you say there's much room left for you as a person in your own right? So from the start, I remember before Jordan's stroke that they were at school and I wasn't working at the time and I'd actually tried to have another baby and couldn't. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put all that love into me. And so I got really, really fit and... Yeah, I mean, I was still there for the kids when they got home, but, yeah, I felt really good about myself and confident. And so when this happened with Jordan, of course, everything went into Jordan because it was a very scary emotional time. And and so when I came back, and I remember in the hospital I was given a book. It was a little handbook, not very big, about caring an acquired brain injury in children. So I read that book front to back, front to back, front to back. And so I remember in the hospital, Andrew was saying, look, there's a gym around the corner. Why don't you go? And I, I was shocked and I was, was like, no, I can't, can't go. Like he's still in a coma or he's just in the ward, but he's still, you know, not very well. And, you know, no, I couldn't even think about myself. And so when we came home, everything went into Jordan's recovery, what he needed. So... I'd read all these things about what to do and how to help people with or children with an acquired brain injury. So I I did all that. And, and then it was the next bit of the advocacy and then the next bit of the advocacy and then trying to find out why he, why he had the bleed. It took nearly 12 months to find the tumour. And so then there was more bits of advocacy and more bits of what he needed. And so then it was medical and he had a disability. So it was, it became about that. And there was always something new and the medical part went on for a long time. There was, you know, chemotherapy, there was more biopsies and and then it was even our house. Our house was because at one stage there was no options left and we knew the next bleed would kill him or it would kill him eventually. So it was about getting a house and stop renting in Brisbane and all for Jordan. So if something happened and he did pass, I wouldn't be in a rental house where I would have to be, you know, I might have to leave, that I would have my memories and it was up to me. So everything I've done has all been for his recovery or for this or for that or in getting him his guide dog. or And then slowly, well, probably a little too slow for me, I realised that, things that made me happy didn't actually make me happy anymore, that I was scared all the time. I live with fear constantly that that every part of who made me who I am was gone, pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. And the only spark of life I feel is when I'm doing something for him or have to do something for him. You know, I'm not a very happy person because I don't 
have things that actually give me enjoyment anymore. And it's not because I wanted to be like that. It's just that somewhere along the way, and I think a, a long time ago, I just lost everything that who made me who I was. And so, you know, I was um, saying to someone a couple of weeks ago that every wish and all my hopes and all my dreams I just gave to Jordan because he was the one that, that needed all the hopes and all the dreams and, and the life. And so the more I give him of my life, the less I have of my life. Yeah. So it makes me a pretty sad person, doesn't it? <laughs> and I don't mean it to, to be like that. I, I just think it when it's your child, well, for me it was, you know, I do anything and everything I can and it's been at my expense. And I don't think though I could do it any other way because that's just who I am. And I think the people that can juggle it, like I really, I take my hat off to them. I, I wish it was me. I wish I could juggle me better. I think though too, maybe with me, like Jordan just had an MRI for his tumour just a couple of days ago. So that's constantly, that. I think for me too, that it's a big thing because medically there's still that fear there with the tumour or even some of his other medical conditions. And I think if there was no tumour anymore and he was in remission and it was gone, maybe things would be different for me too. But because I still have that medical concern, it's just really mm. hard to, to move on. I don't mean to be a sad person. I'm in some ways, you know, I live with fear and, and it does overwhelm me because I, I do have post-traumatic stress and anxiety. But anything I have to do with Jordan, I'm a t like I'm fierce, like really fierce. And I just got rid of another support coordinator and a new one came and I said, you know what, you're going to have to put up with me <clears throat> being an advocate because this is my child and my child's life. And I don't care if he's 45, I'd still be the same. And, and he's not 45, he's 25, <laughs> he's just had a birthday. But, you know, this is his future and his life. So, you know, you have to put up with me and understand. But, yeah, so I'm fierce but then I'm exhausted, you know, mm -hmm. for the rest of the time. I, I'm, I'm really, really tired. I'm really, really tired. I'm really tired of the medical side, of the disability side. And now it's just trying to get him to, to live somewhere. I'm tired of finding a system to, to make it fit. You know, some things are great, but a lot of the things you, you do have to fight for and constantly advocate for. And it really sucks the life out of you. And it, well, it has for me. Mm. And I'll keep going. Like, I'll keep going, but it's what it leaves you with for yourself, which is my cup's pretty full when it comes to having to fight for Jordan. But then for me, it, it you know, it, it's empty pretty quick. So, yeah. yeah, so that's me. I don't mean to be sad, but, yeah, it'd be nice to to be able to find, you know, so cliche, find myself again. I don't mean it that way, but just find what makes me happy and what I enjoy. So Mari, 
Obviously, getting the right support is a critical piece of the puzzle. Were you able to access anything particularly useful? Um, not so much for us. Mm. Uh, that's been, uh, I think for us, we even Jordan medically sometimes, we have fallen through a lot of cracks. I think to, uh, to the start with his brain injury because he was quite miraculous. And so because physically he was okay, even then, you know, once we transferred, because 13 years ago, from the Robin team at the Mater to the Children's, the old Royal, mm. you know, I had already been doing a lot of research. So I was doing things that they didn't even know. And so there was really no, not really a lot of understanding or help for the cognitive side at all. And mm. like I said, you know, he, he was at times, he was, you know, with patterns. And, mm. and so, you know, we just, I was kind of flying blind. I, I'm sorry, Jordan. Jordan is legally <laughs> blind, so there's fun for him. But I was like, oh. I had no idea what what I was really doing, um, and that's kind of gone through most of the the way. Even now, there's wonderful caring, like there's caring associations that you can go with. But when you've been a long term carer, there are things you need that that aren't provided because mm. it's it's more for the people that have just started. And for me, there's more long-term things that I really, I think I, I need. And carer's burnout can be a, a big one and that can hit you really quickly. And you need the help kind of there and then. And there's nothing. I know people are trying to change that, but it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Mm. And, you know, there are things there. I think, I think too, support from family and friends is a huge one. And unfortunately for me now, I have no support from family. I have, uh, I've only got my husband now. It's only him and I. So I have no support. And with, with friends, I've got lovely friends that I still have in Melbourne, but I don't see them. And my friends, I don't really have any friends here. I think I've been caring so long and so many things medically. And so people get sick of you being so not morbid, but, you know, flat or worried all the time. And, you know, it, you don't want to be like that, but it's been so constant for me. And so I've got to the point where I end up, because I do get so tired, I spend a lot of time at home now just waiting, waiting for Jordan to come home, waiting for what he needs, mm. because it's just, it's just easier, you know, and people want to know why you can't make something or, you know, why you might be a bit upset or this. And people who just meet you, they don't really want to know. Like, they don't really care. And a lot of them just go, well, you know, thank God it's not us <laughs> and we haven't gone through it. So, you know, I've been to counsellors. I'm not on any medication, but I've been to counsellors and things like that. I even went to a post-traumatic PTSD specialist. But because it's ongoing, it's not like you go through it and then it's done and then you can mm. start your recovery. Like I said, Jordan's just had his MRI. So you get this, it's called scanxiety. And so, you, you know, you're waiting to see what, what comes and then if that's clear and everything's good, then you sort of go, oh, great, I can move on. And then the, in the next six months it happens again. So until that sort of stops, 
I feel it. Well, for me, it's hard to set something in place as a recovery. For me, mm. does that make sense? Because it it kind of never ends. Until I feel like it never ends. We're just in this cycle that never ends. Yeah. I'm so sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. This is so that's, sad. <laughs> no, that's you're telling but, the story. Well, I, you know, I've always been really blunt. I've always said to people that you only make change with awareness. And mm. I think for me, I've never been frightened to say how I feel or what was wrong with Jordan. I've never, you know, I always encouraged him to be proud of what he'd gone through with his brain injury, where I know some people and younger people don't even know they have a brain injury. Mm. But if we don't speak and make our voices clear, then there's never any change. And so the cycle never ends anyway. And I think for brain injury, for me, in the 13 years that that I've seen with Jordan, there's really been no change. Mm -hmm. There's no real supports out there for people. And what little supports there, we couldn't access in the right way because Jordan had his stroke when he was a child and not when he was an adult, even though he had a bleed when he was 18. There are no real supports out there at all. So it's, you know, I, I think people need to speak up and as carers, you know, I think we need to speak up and I don't have any questions and no problems saying how I feel or, you know, anything like that because it, the main thing is by doing all these things is try and create awareness to then try and create change for everybody for the carers as well as the people who, you know, have go through an ABI or TBI. I think that's a great thing to talk about and bring up to everyone. Uh, if, if I could have a dream job, my dream job would be public speaking to anybody and everybody about how important it is for brain injury and how little people talk about it it's like mental illness, you know, people didn't want to talk about it. It's the same thing with brain injury. You know, we hear about footballers who can't remember things and it's like, you know, it's terrible because they've had too many knocks on the head and they're starting to get short-term memory loss. Mm. Well, for me, it was an 11-year-old who had short-term memory loss and couldn't even have his life of going to uni because yeah. it wasn't never his vision. It was always about his memory and his cognitive abilities and things need to be, this needs to be said more. Mm. And I remember reading things about adults with acquired brain injury, however they acquired it. And so many of them were homeless or incarcerated simply because they never got the help they really needed. Yeah. It was just shunned or put under the table or people think they're helping, but they're not actually giving them what they really need. And so it's the social implications for people because they don't know how to handle themselves in social settings. Yeah. And so, you know, partners leave partners because it's just so hard because they change. But unless we get the right supports in place, it's actually costing governments more money Hmm. by looking after them in prison, you know. So it's better to have, I just think it's better to have the right supports in place. Talk about what people really need and, and let's try and make some change. All good points, Mari. So tell me, how have you found the NDIS so far? 
Yes. So for us, NDIS has been a really positive thing, really positive thing. And I know for some people it hasn't been, but I must say for us it was, but you still have to advocate. So I remember going into Jordan's first planning meeting because before that, Jordan was going to service providers like day places. I'm not going to say names, but day places. And I remember one person who was a director of one of these places, who was a lovely lady, she said, oh, you know, Jordan won't qualify for NDIS. I said, excuse me? Really? I said, I think he might. Mm. And so (laughs) I was very nice. And and like I said, she was a nice lady, but she didn't understand about acquired brain injury. And I've got to say, even through school, I mean, that was another thing that with school, when he came back to school, that that's another story itself. But oh, it's an awful thing to say, but having a, a vision impairment mm. actually helped and that's horrible. And I remember his first planning meeting because I was I did not want an LA, LAC person to do our planning. So I, I was, I got, we were very early on when it first came out and I really pushed for an NDIA planner. And the reason I pushed for an NDIA planner and didn't want to wait for the LACs to come was because I wanted someone who had lots of experience, who'd done plans um, interstate. And so the first thing I said after we said hello, we sat down for the meeting and I said, excuse me for being so blunt, but do you know anything about acquired brain injury? And the person said, oh, well, I have to say no. And I said, okay, so I'm here to explain about acquired brain injury. And so I let Jordan, I let the planner, because Jordan was, oh, geez, 20 or so, um, direct every question to Jordan, which, of course, was met with, I don't know, mum. I don't know, mum. Uh, I don't know, mum. <laughs> and that went on and on. And the other thing that I really wanted to emphasise at the planning meeting was that my son was not intellectually impaired. Mm-hmm. There is no nothing. I'm not saying there's nothing, anything wrong with, with that. But so many times with acquired brain injury, people assume that the person is intellectually impaired mm-hmm. where they have, it's different. This is, this is more a social thing, a planning thing, like Jordan can't plan things or have mm-hmm. that, that capacity mm-hmm. to say, oh, I need to ring my doctor and make an appointment. He just, it's like, he goes, oh, make an appointment. And then it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. So, yeah, all those things. So I made sure that I tried to educate about what brain injury was and the impact on Jordan and the impact on his questions because Jordan didn't know because he just doesn't remember his severe short-term memory loss. So we, we were very happy with our plan when we got it and for once Jordan wasn't put into like institutionalised day centres. He could actually have a support worker that could take him and and do things that Jordan wanted to do. And so our life um, became different and our life became more structured in a way. And for once, 
he was able to pursue things that he wanted to do. So NDIS, yeah, has been good. At the moment now where we do have SDA, which is the Specialised Disability Accommodation, which is housing, mm-hmm. at 25, Jordan wants to live by himself. The problem is he wants to live by himself. Mm. He does not want to live in a shared accommodation. My other issue with it is that to live by himself, um, we may be able to manage if he lived at Kabulcha or Logan or, but the problem is when the ambulance comes, they will take him to Logan Hospital or Kabulcha mm. Hospital to not where his nurse navigator and his five specialists are. So, yeah, so that's a new thing mm. at the moment. But, you know, we've got good supports and for us it's been good. But I advocated really hard and I had so many reports and so many pieces of paper for them that they looked at it and said, oh, no, we'll just take the just the first couple. So it's better to bamboozle mm. and and look like, you know, you've really, and I mean, I had reports from when he was 11. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but, you know, that's advocating and trying to do it right, which is, and it's not always easy because some people, you know, struggle with those things. So Mari, yes. what support would have been good for you? It would have been really, really good to have spoken to people once we got home and the initial shock and everything. But once we got home, I felt quite abandoned. Mm. And I remember when we, when I left the hospital, this was when initially when he was um, 12 because he'd had his birthday. And because we lived on the Sunshine Coast then, there was no outreach services. Mm. They were at the Gold Coast and they were further north and further down to near Tweed, but nothing on the Sunshine Coast. So we were just left. Mm. And I tried. I, I actually rang Synapse and I used to annoy them for a while, but they couldn't <laughs> help me at that stage because <coughs> Jordan was a child. And... Um, things were different. And so there was there was absolutely nothing, nothing. We didn't have great family support. Andrew's family were in Melbourne and I had no real support at home. So I had, we had no family support. And our friends were like, oh, keep away. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's because, oh, thank God, it, you know, they think, oh, it's, thank God it's not me. We can get on with our lives. And so, you know, initially there are people, but then they drift away and there's nobody. And it would have been so good just to have somewhere that I could have rung and had someone listen to me mm. or have some someone say, oh, you know what, we have this lady who would love to speak to you, who, you know, who lives near you or whatever, just even to have someone come over or meet someone just to have a coffee or but just talk. Mm. You know, I, a lot of things, I became everything. You know, the OT, the, the physio, the, the counsellor, myself. And so I was happy as can be Jordan come home and, you know, I was doing things for him, trying to be a parent to my other child and my husband. And yet deep down inside, I was just so scared because I really 
didn't know what I was doing. So having someone to go to, speak to, that understood, mm. some kind of better support system. I mean, people try and do that now, but it, it kind of doesn't work. Mm. I mean, I got to the stage where I was just so that I wanted to create a support system and I actually did a walk, an awareness walk from Noosa to the old Martyr Children's Hospital to raise not to raise money, but just to raise awareness about acquired brain injury and stroke in children, mm-hmm. something, because I felt I was so frustrated that I wanted to make a difference. And, you know, you, it's kind of hard when you keep dealing with medical stuff, but because that's, there was nothing for me. So, yeah, somewhere that I could have been able to ring I think Synapse is trying to do that now and that would have been a wonderful thing. Someone just to talk to who's willing to listen to me or say, look, this is normal or don't do this because that's what I did, you know, or something, some direction. But, yeah, we were just flying. You know, I was trying to be, do everything and my husband was saying, oh, no, just wait, things will come to you. And so that created problems because both of us didn't really know what we were doing. So, yeah. Just something that you could ring up and there was help there would have been great. Maury, thank you for that. We now have Andrew, Maury's husband, on the phone. And Andrew, how has life been like for you? Hi, thank you. It's been difficult in that it's hard to watch what was once our our studious son becomes somebody that we never envisage in our life. But I get the good end of it. Yes, it's frustrating at times and and it's hard to understand what's going on sometimes. But the main care of being Mari, I, I get to ride a, a bike with Jordan and we have the best discussions on the bike. So I probably get the good end of the deal. But it's it's frustrating and it's frustrating understanding that there should be a system to help more than sometimes it feels like there is. It's great you and Jordan have that cycling connection, but it sounds like it's not only your son you're concerned for. Uh, look, I've, I've watched a person that I married go from very competent and fit person, both emotionally and mentally and, and physically fit, to be crushed over the years, to be crushed both in frustration and hurt and PTSD and she's frightened of the world and, it, and it's very hard to watch. So I'm watching a son having to deal with the health issues and I'm having to watch my wife challenge every day that she wakes up and having to think about what's next and what's going to belt her down this time. And, mm. and and that's very hard to watch, very hard to watch. Andrew, would there be any supports that you would have liked to have seen in this time? I do. I think there's supports needed more for Jordan. Jordan, um, and I'm sure Mari's covered off, has all sorts of learning issues and all sorts of social issues that really just fall through the cracks because we're so well at healing broken bones and and doing all those sorts of things that we've just had to find ways to 
to show him how to more more be more appropriate in in the world mm-hmm. he's a very intelligent young man but it's very hard from that perspective and then from my wife's perspective from Mari's perspective i think it's really hard because she's having to do this on her own <laughs> she's having to and i don't mean i'm not there to support her but it falls back on her and um i don't know that she's ever got support except from independent bodies that she's found mm-hmm. no one steps up and says this is how you're supposed to deal with life mm-hmm. this is it, it will all get better it just doesn't happen and i wish there was a, a organization that would would care for her as much as they like to care for jordan thank you for that really honest reflection andrew and That's also right. you mari we've only scratched the surface of what is a huge conversation but hopefully there's someone listening now who feels a little less alone with their experiences. Well, thank you for having me because awareness and advocacy is something I'm really passionate about. And I think, you know, like I said before, we, we need to make more voices and be heard. And I think carers need to be heard especially. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Brain Bank podcast. Brought to you by Synapse. Australia's peak body for brain injury. Make sure you visit our website, synapse.org.au, where you'll find useful resources and tools to connect you to our brain injury community. And while you're there, please complete the podcast survey. We want to know what you've enjoyed, what's worked for you, and what you think we should cover in the next series. At Synapse, we're creating change for people from all walks of life who have been impacted by brain injury. Remember to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.